welcome, Sam. Please put the... I don't even remember, but yeah. yeah. The lockdown is basically Death Stranding. Fucking Kojima, man. Hey, I'm Fingers. Yo, this is Vector. Hey, everyone. This is Days Ahead. And I'm Nitroid. You're listening to the Kojima Frequency. It is kind of right. Uh, yeah. yeah, that game's been uh, seeing a resurgence on YouTube recently. There's been like a string of videos that that have been popping up, uh, which I thought was kind of interesting because that that game was um, it was so dead for the longest time. Nobody was talking about it, but people are talking about it again. It's you know it's it's obviously luck that has got it to this point where he um, you know it ended up being so prescient, but. At the same time, I can't help but like imagine some elite member of high society who saw this thing coming, just happened to be a Kojima fan, was like, hey, I'm, I'm going to let you in on what's going to happen over the next year or the next uh, three years. And uh, you get yeah. the word out, man. I mean, that would be great and all, but it's not like the game prepares you for, you know, what's going on. Unless ghosts show up and then and then, you know, all bets are off. Which could still totally happen. Like, Nitroid, you know. Nitroid, we already talked about this. The BTs. I don't know if you remember this from your stream, but the BTs are the Karens who refuse to wear masks. Right, <laughs> right. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. Dude, they should, if they remaster MGS4, <laughs> they should have a, a mask, just like a, like a face mask that Snake could wear. They should have like a secret ending where if you wear a face mask, Ocelot doesn't die at the end. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> so real question, though, how long until the first game that has an equipable face mask? Or has it already happened and, and I'm just not aware? It's Ghost of Tsushima. You wear a mask. But not not the same kind. Oh, I, right? yeah, I get what. Yeah. Yeah. That's straining. You have that. Uh, yeah. The oxygen. the oxygen thing. No, I mean like like the first game that uses like the medical mask as an equipable item. Not even necessarily for the same purpose, but just like because that's a thing. There was a really obscure survival horror, like a side-scrolling survival horror game called Lone Survivor. Oh, you're no, right. He, he does wear it in that. I've played that. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, so that comes to mind. No relation to the Mark Wahlberg movie. But um, but yeah, I mean, it's not. But I don't think it it serves a purpose. It's just like there's a thing, and and he's being careful, and it's not really it's not really an element of the story. It's just part of the the aesthetic. That's, yeah, that's his his character design or whatever. It's just part of his costume. So are you asking like, what's the first game that has a, a mask that actually factors into gameplay? I don't know. I mean, it just. Either either as gameplay or as just like uh, COVID was a thing, so we put it in. Uh, well, that's going to take a while, I think. Yeah, I put it. There's a face mask on Animal Crossing. That's on my villager's main outfit. <laughs> I wonder how much of the changes that have happened will will remain around for that long of a period of time. What about Red Dead Redemption? You could put on a mask to lower your notoriety. Does that count? I don't know. I think maybe it has to be post COVID. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it might it might be a while, but I'm just I'm just kind of waiting for somebody to do it at this point. They had the bandanas. Right. Do you think That's Snake yeah. would use do you think Snake would use his bandana as a face mask? <laughs> I could see that. 
<laughs> oh man, yeah, Snake didn't engage in any sort of social distancing at all. Like CQC, I mean, he, he, he kind of moved to Alaska. They didn't okay, call him yeah. Carrier Boy for nothing. Yeah, good point. <laughs> he was like, he was trying. He was like, Colonel, I'm retired. <laughs> Maybe up, uh, uh, MGO2 can like add it in as another update. And oh. Can, uh... oh, speaking <laughs> of MGO2. That's a good segue. Talk about that. Yeah, yeah I, I really want to hear the details, and I figured the best person to explain this to me was Nitroid, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah okay. let's get into it. Let's All right, let's grab a spot. There, so. All right, if we're going to talk about it, I'll, I'll, I'll lay it out, and I'll try to be as... as as level-headed as I can about this, because there's a good chance it's going to come off as a lot more hostile than I intend it to. You're always so hostile, Nitro. And I don't, I don't mean it that way. So here's the gist of it. Several years back, maybe several, maybe a few years back, I don't know how long it's been, um, a group of fans got together and figured out how to get the original Metal Gear Online and Metal Gear Online 2 games working again. Because, you know, I think it was 2012 when the Metal Gear Online 2 servers went down officially, like the official ones, so you could no longer play. And uh, since then, the game's just been out, right? And it was a long right. time until something else replaced it. There was, you know, Portable Ops was available to some extent, uh, Peace Walker, and then MGO3 kind of came out to mixed reception, let's say. Um, but these guys did the work and figured out how to get Metal Gear Online 2 functioning again. And they've been making steady progress and they figured out, you know, first you required, you, you know, you had to mod your PlayStation and all this other stuff. And then over time, they figured out how to get it working without having to mod it. And it's just been really, really impressive what these guys have done. And then they were doing experiments where they were like, OK, well, can we also inject brand new levels into the game? Like, can we take areas that were either unfinished in the code or were from the single player and like stick them in and, and mess with it that way. And they're like, they're doing all these really cool experiments and I've been a pretty vocal supporter of them uh, for a while. And it's not perfect. You know, there's, there's, there's always community issues with a game like that where, you know, you've got your regulars and then you've got your casuals and there's always going to be some friction there. But for the most part, I've really been behind what these guys have been doing. Um, Recently, I should also add that that for the for this entire period of time, the 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 mission statement for this project has um, I I feel as if it's very clearly been, hey, we're restoring Metal Gear Online 2 because it's no longer available. It was there. It was taken away. We're bringing it back. So it's a it's a restoration effort. Right. So. Um, just the other day, uh they pushed an update to the game, a, a full-on update to the game patch. I think the, the, the last official patch was 1.3-something. And they've released their own update to the game, like a legitimate update. Uh, they're calling right. it 1.4, right? Yeah. And uh, the patch notes uh, say, you know, this is a fun update to show what's possible. There's much more to come into the future. Um, they changed the title screen. They replace existing songs with other songs. They replace the the look of some gear with other gear. So like some of the t-shirts, like I think it's just one t-shirt right now, like the Suchinoko t-shirt is changed with uh, another design for like a, a, a contest winner design that they, that they themselves had. And the big one that really set me off was that they went into several of the maps and disabled visual effects to increase the frame rate. 
Hmm. Now, Metal Gear Online 2 has kind of, uh, it's pretty notoriously badly optimized, uh, not just in net code, but in just general frame rate. If you get into a big map um, with 16 players, which is the max for MGO2, it'll run pretty slow. I mean, this this game can really chug hard when you get a lot going on on screen. But that's just kind of how it was. So this was a game where they sort of very clearly sacrificed performance for aesthetics because MGO2 is a great looking game and there's a lot going on on screen. And what they changed was they removed motion blur, which I don't know how you feel about that, but they but they yanked that out. They pulled out uh, sand effects, snow effects, uh, debris flying through the air. So all of these little detailed touches that are in a number of maps, they've removed them essentially to speed up the frame rate. And I have a big problem with that because I feel like that's changing core elements of the game to make it something that you think is to to, to make essentially it's fans trying to improve something that's not theirs. It's no longer a restoration effort. It's like player unknowns Metal Gear Online at this point, right? As, As a friend of mine put it. And so when you get to that point of we're not trying to restore the game or maintain something that was here and then taken away, we're trying to make our own thing that we think is better. That's not good, I think. I mean, it's their project and they can do what they want. That's fine. But I'm not going to support it anymore because as of right now, there is no way to play um, Metal Gear Online 2 uh, in anything, in in, in, a, in a mostly authentic sense, I should say. I mean, the very Vanilla. idea of... Yeah. I mean, the very idea of playing it on a custom server isn't authentic to begin with, but, it, but every update from this onward is going to take it further and further away from authenticity, I feel. And so I just, I can't support that. So this is the only team that's, that's working on a, okay. So I, I wanted to make sure there weren't like multiple. No, there is no way to play it online. This is there. They have, um, you know, people from Japan come into these servers to play and this is it. Yeah. How difficult would it be to, to have another team that's, you know, Um, that's, you know what I mean? Or yeah, just restore uh, it to a previous have have the previous one point three version like accessible or something you know like running on something else and then because well, that was I like mean, the version at which they still had it you know pretty much the same right. I can't say how difficult or or not difficult that would be because I don't understand the intricacies of how they even did this to begin with. Right. Um, yeah. The uh, there there is source code for the server stored online. Um, not official source code, but like the source code these guys have written to emulate the MGO servers and get it running. It's it's way above my head. Uh, maybe somebody yeah. else can look at that and make it work. Uh, I certainly can't. So I don't I don't know. It seems like it would be something that would require quite a bit of specialty knowledge to to make it operate. But I I don't know. I, I just wow. that's the bottom line is I don't know. So I mean, if someone a- out additionally, there, um, like uh, just outside of a technical logistic standpoint. Um, you know, with any multiplayer game, there's also a concern, especially with smaller player bases, that if you make both versions available, you're essentially splitting an already tiny player base. Yeah, and that's a fair assessment. Um, somebody brought up the point that this could have negative effects on actual stealth tactics in the game because things like Team Sneak, where people rely on environmental effects for camouflage, even if even if it's in a small degree that could have a negative effect on gameplay. Even an increased frame rate can have an effect on gameplay. Like like the smallest changes will change, will, will can, can have large effects on the way people play. Right. Um, but the retort to that was essentially, well, the people who play that regularly, 
don't really care about that anyway, and they're behind these changes. And and I feel like, you know, that's sort of making my point for me there, because you're catering to a very small community of people at this point who want something different. They don't want that game anymore. And so you've already splintered it, I feel like. You've, you've splintered it between the people who want to expand it into something new and the people who played it because it was a it was something authentic that they remembered and no longer had access to. And, and even though that's we're talking about such a small group of people here, it just, in principle, it just seems wrong to me. But yeah. it's, it's theirs. They can do what they want. I feel like a lot of that, you know, you could just make, like, a custom games. You know how you go into custom games and just, like, set up options per match. Yeah. You but, know, but you got to remember, too, we're not talking about a game that they've coded. We're talking about essentially a lot of hacks running. Yeah. So make and, and these things are all running for the most part server side. So like major changes to the game source code, even though they're able to patch certain things, it's within, to my understanding, pretty severe limitations. So it's not like they can go in and st- like add an option to like if you wanted to add like a volume slider to the music. That's not something they can just patch in because they don't have access to the source code of the game and they can't just publish it in. Yeah. You know, they're working within very, very tight restraints. So something like that would not be possible, I'm I'm assuming. I was just thinking with the additional stuff that they were putting in, they would know how to yeah, like, I, at least have I know that that, turn on and are off. Yeah, I, I if I'm if I'm remembering correctly and, and I might not be, but if I'm remembering right, when they were adding in new missions and things like that, they were only able to do it because they replaced other ones as a test. You know, they weren't they weren't publishing these to the server publicly. They were like private behind the scenes things to see what they could do. Gotcha. Um, it was it was like, OK, well, if we take, you know, uh, Urban Ultimatum and and put, you know, Outer Haven's map there instead, then when we load up, you know, Urban Ultimatum, it'll say Urban Ultimatum. But really, we're playing in, in Outer Haven or something like that, you know. Yeah. Um, so I don't I don't know. I mean, it's it's. You know, this stuff is so technical and above my head that I can't really say to any detail what they can and can't do. I just know that that I don't feel like, in principle, it's a good idea to change the core game when there's no other way out there to play the original. But I don't know. It's it's I'm torn between they did the work, it's their right to do what they want, and you've brought back something that was lost, so you have a responsibility now to maintain it properly. So I'm somewhere in between those two poles. Yeah. But that's the gist um, of it. Yeah, and that makes perfect sense. Uh, you know, like if you're talking about preservation, but That's my the whole key thing word, is, by the way. yeah, preservation, right? And the fact that there's no other way to play it, and you know, this is like the only way that you know, centuries from now, there will be footage of this version. You know, for if you're talking about archiving the the versions, I don't know. I I feel like for me, it's like you can either take it with the changes or you get nothing at all. And I feel like this is a, is better than not being able to play it in any form or any capacity. So, Maybe. and also, yeah. yeah, it sounds like they're, they're trying to make improvements based on, based on feedback. It doesn't sound like it's arbitrary changes. Like, Oh, we, we want to change this just for the hell of it. It's like, they're trying to change it because the people that are still playing it, they don't like how it exists in its current form. And, and I'm all, I'm all for that. And I completely understand that point of view. I don't expect any, I'm not trying to convince anybody to go my route. I think it's a mistake. And if anybody else agrees with me, great. You know, I'm, I'm not going to participate in this anymore because I don't, I don't like that direction, but, and, and, and I understand that's kind of an extreme position, but 
that's how I feel. And so I'm going to, I'm going to kind of, you know, follow my principles there. Uh, and that makes the, perfect know, sense, but I'm not going to yeah. begrudge anybody who's like, well, I don't really care about, you know, trash flying through the air. I'm going to keep playing. Like, I don't, I don't begrudge that. And I don't, and they're not necessarily wrong. You know, this is just how I feel about it. I, that makes perfect sense to me. Cause I felt the, like literally the exact same about the entire metal gear franchise. So, so I completely get it. I saw a picture earlier that a friend of mine sent that just made me feel kind of viscerally ill. Um, that's kind of related to the topic of preservation. It was um, some Ratchet and Clank fan had uh, these discs for the game super glued onto plexiglass as part of a, a sort of a collage of Ratchet and Clank merchandise. Wow. <laughs> um, but that's that's not the that's only half of it because the discs that they've super glued onto plexiglass to make this display were beta discs. Whoa. Uh, Whoa. And like when I see that kind of thing, it just kind of makes me want to throw up in my mouth a little bit. <laughs> that's um yeah, that's bad. So the Metal Gear Online thing sort of registers in that same way. Not quite as, you know, not as extreme as that, but it's hitting the same nerves where I just feel like, you know, you're not preserving this properly. You know, I've 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 got this mindset of like a of like a a, a museum curator with this stuff where if it's not properly displayed and presented, it's just it's like it's like an itch I need to scratch. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. So, I don't know. I mean, we're kind of running into a posi- into a place now where a lot of the older games are getting harder and harder to get a hold of. I mean, we're 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 going to be two generations detached from the last official release of most of the Metal Gear games sent, you know, here soon. Right. A PC release would fix this in a in, you know, overnight essentially, but as is, there's really no official way to play it on the PS4 other than streaming it off of a, you know, a PS3 in a server farm somewhere. Yeah. Wasn't that Man. sort of what you did with Yeah. And <laughs> yeah, and Substance? <laughs> yeah, I was I was streaming it from PlayStation Now into my computer and then streaming it back out to Twitch, which I'm pretty sure the only reason that worked as well as it did was because I've got gigabit internet and that's not, you know, a normal circumstance that everyone, you know, like your average player is not going to have that kind of bandwidth to do this. But to their credit, it didn't work as bad as I thought. There's a little bit of delay, but it's it's far less than you might think. But okay. it's it's no substitute for a proper port. Right. Yeah, well, you know, what uh is there any indication that Konami's ever going to make another video game again ever? <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, they've got a, a mobile Castlevania game coming out. I guess. I guess I meant, you know, like for know the for mean. the core demographic a, uh, like a, an actual console release because that, that was their whole business model was we're yeah. going to focus on mobile development because it's it's way easier and we can get people to to buy our microtransactions and it's just a it's a higher profit margin but I, yeah there's no indication that konami's ever going to make another game again there are rumors we got tons of rumors um yeah you know and those rumors i've been kind of there's so many rumors flying around and so many of them sort of like flow in from 4chan that yeah. I really struggle to take any of them seriously. Right. Um, but I guess now you've got like, um, it's, it's picking up steam, you know? Um, yeah. So like there's a, I'm trying to, remember exactly but there's a guy who is fairly well known for leaking resident evil news 
on Twitter and he goes by Dusk Golem. And to my knowledge, pretty much everything he's ever said has has come to pass in some respect, you know, and he's the guy who leaked all the early news about RE3 remake before it happened and then it was being done by like the B team and it wasn't going to be what you'd expect and there were more details that he's done. And he's the guy, I think, who who leaked all the stuff about the RE4 remake plans and Resident Evil 8 and all these things. And like, there's been more in the past that he leaked with that RE2 remake, if I'm remembering right, but like he's been on point. And now even he is parroting the the rumors about Silent Hill saying, okay, yeah, this has actually got some some weight to it. Uh, so the I guess the rumor is right now that Sony Japan... Uh, is working on a Silent Hill reboot of sorts for PS5, and they've got Masahiro Ito, the original artist, doing the art. They've got Akira Yamaoka doing the music, who's the original composer. They've got uh, Keichiro Toyama, who was the original, you know, creator of Silent Hill and Siren, coming back. So, like, they've got the the original trio back working on this. So. If that's true, I mean, that's a pretty big step. I don't know if it'll be enough to kind of counterbalance all of the the negative karma that, that Konami has kind of chalked up over the past few years, but if it's good enough, it might, you know? I don't know. I don't know. Like, gamers, they seem to be pretty forgiving if you put out a product. I mean, everybody I know who is protesting Blizzard over the whole Hearthstone thing is already back on Overwatch. Yeah, and I guess every time, you know, for every screw Konami tweet I see... Uh, you know, I'll see another like, please remake MGS one tweet, you know, so like, right. It's a spurned you know, love. I'm so mad at you, but give me what I want. Yeah. So who knows? I mean, if they do yeah. that, it'll probably go over well. It won't be PT, but you know, I'm fine with that personally. I I didn't want, uh, I, you know, we've discussed this a little bit, but what was PT? It was a playable teaser it was it it had some great atmosphere there was no game there there was no indication that it was ever going to be a game and you know the the fact that people the the idea that people are going to be mad at this silent hill reboot that it's not pt with guillermo del toro and and hideo kojima you know let them cry about it i never felt like pt was representative of what the game was going to be i mean they even said that you know, I just felt like that was them sort of throwing the gauntlet down and saying, this is what we put together in a short amount of time working together. Right. Um, just to show you what we are capable of. And we're going to do Silent Hill now. So get ready. Yeah. That's and that's how I, it came off to me. I thought it, it, it looked great, but you're looping down a hallway a million times. There's no there was no proof of concept that they would be able to, to deliver on a silent hill game. So, you know, I, I, I think if they really are making a silent hill reboot, fingers crossed, I hope, I hope they are, but I think, um, man, you know, they, they'd really have to, to, uh, to bring their a game. And I just, here's the thing about horror games. There's a reason why we saw less of them over time because, Games, the games started costing more money to make, so they needed to make to make more money. And horror games have never done that. You always make a horror game to be more niche, and that's why Resident Evil got so bloated. And we got games like Resident Evil Six, uh, because you know the the game needed to be all things to all people, so that it could make its money back. And you know, in Resident Evil Seven, when they finally rebooted it, and you know they got back to the survival horror roots, that game didn't sell that well. 
Didn't it? I thought so, seven sold uh, extremely well. I don't think it did. Last I saw, it wasn't a commercial success, uh, which is why instead of going into eight, because, you know, the game ends kind of like, okay, they're going into Resident Evil 8. They're going to continue this. But no, they didn't do that. They did two and three instead because that was. Okay. According to this, according to Capcom's latest update as of February of this year, RE7 has sold over 7 million copies and it's the third best selling game in the series. But that puts it right behind RE6 and RE5. So. I mean, that's that's great. I mean, I if if it did sell that well. Where's my sequel? That was my favorite game of 2017. Well, uh, that's I what, really could have done. I really wish I knew about this Dust Golem guy when he was leaking info about uh, about RE3. I could have yeah. avoided that stain on my <laughs> life. Could have saved me 60 bucks here, you know. <laughs> um, but it so, sounds yeah. like 8 is going to be a follow-up to 7. You're going right. to be the same character. You're just going to go and investigate where everything from 7 came from, which seems kind of weird to me that you would play as the same character considering this guy's kind of a nobody. Right. Um, but I guess that's kind of how it's always gone in Resident Evil to an extent. Yeah. You kind of start out as nobody and then you get sucked into the drama of the world. Right. Yeah. But Watch RE3. Just be like, I'm Jill's cousin. Right. Three was just totally like, three felt like they were steering back towards RE4's action oriented style, but maybe that's just because it was the so-called B team working on it. I mean, you know, I'm I'm really glad to hear that RE7 did sell well, but I just I don't understand why. And you know what's because you know what's interesting is the fact that a lot of people were comparing that game to PT because you know it's in first person, right? And it looked uh, really similar. But they and had been so, doing that for a while. That right, had been in development exactly. long before PT. Exactly. So. It it, it it seemed like they had uh, they had struck gold and the you know the fact that they didn't continue from where they left off and they d- decided instead to remake two i um that was weird and here's why i felt like i guess the reason why i felt like re7 didn't sell that well was because you usually see it on sale for dirt cheap and that's that's always an indication that you know people aren't people aren't picking it up then again, I mean, they just started giving away Grand Theft Auto V for free. That's different, though. China's giving that game away to to, to <laughs> rope people in. They're trying they're, to. They're making. Know, yeah, I know. I, they're making their money from from GTA Online. Right, and it's weird because you, if you just go on GTA Online and yell "Free Tibet" in the chat, then <laughs> that it has to be pulled from from all the Chinese servers. So, like, I don't know. Yeah, it's weird. It's hard to. It's they they guard these numbers and keep them so close to the chest that it's really hard to draw any clear conclusions. But I mean, in general, do you feel like horror as a genre is not profitable? I didn't mean not profitable, but what I meant was, you know, uh, in the PS2 era, it was pretty simple to make uh, a horror game. You, you know, you had Silent Hill 2, Siren, all those Resident Evil games. But when the, the, the when the 360 and the PS3 came around, just cost of development skyrocketed and you couldn't make a pure horror game like you used to be able to because it if it was low quality then people wouldn't buy it so you had to to put a triple a development budget behind it but once you did that then that increased the 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 types of numbers that you'd have to see when the game finally came out so 
like for the longest time, horror games, they, they went away. Um, it was, uh, I mean, it, it wasn't that long. It, there was like a span of, of maybe three or four years where no one was making survival horror games anymore. Uh, but, um, but then they kind of made, they, they had a resurgence sometime around, I want to say like a, until dawn came out and, and it did really well. And it was like, okay, we can make, maybe we can make horror games again. Um, and then, the, you know, uh, the Outlast series has done pretty well financially, hasn't it? Oh, you know what? You, yeah, I think maybe Amnesia yeah, was, I was really thinking, yeah. like the indie yeah. horror games. There's the Evil Within, where everyone started getting experimental with it. Right. Yeah, Amnesia started that whole thing, and that you know, I feel like also skyrocketed um, or it boosted uh, like Twitch streamers and you know reaction videos, and that, that was a whole deal. That was what back in 2012. Yeah, I want to say. Yeah. So what, so, so that. Kind of makes me wonder, Slenderman like Slenderman as well, you know, like Slenderman, that, yeah, that was yeah. Like definitely the whole thing that got everybody into horror stuff again. So, what killed it is the question, because you know, around 2008, you had Dead Space, and that was right. a success. And then Dead Space, look what 2, happened to Dead Space Three. <laughs> let, let, yeah, let's not talk about maybe it was maybe Dead Space Three was what killed it, you know, because <laughs> Dead Space was popular because you know it you were this isolated everyman. Right in in a dark place that was very claustrophobic, put up against this existential threat that was you know incredibly enigmatic, and you had no answer for what it was, and it was really compelling, um, really atmospheric stuff. And I mean, yeah, it was jump scare heavy, but it was like the filet mignon of jump scares at the time. You right. Know? Yeah. And so no, that that, that game's incredible. And so Dead Space, you know, Dead Space 2 mostly kind of stuck with it, but started answering a few too many questions for my comfort zone, you know? And then right. 3 looks at that formula of the first game and goes, let's do the exact opposite. We're going to give you a partner. We're going to make <laughs> you important. We're going to put you in broad daylight, and we're going to explain every little thing we can. Right. And it was terrible. I... I'm definitely going to have to do a ton of research on this. I, I've been planning to for, for the longest time. Years and years ago, when I was first starting out on YouTube, uh, you know, I, I did a video about the, the history and design of survival horror games, but I wanted to go a lot more in depth about it. And, and, um, and this is why, because there was a time when you just weren't seeing a lot of survival horror games. Uh, Dead Space was a rare example. That was like a time where EA was, they were really on top of their game, pun intended, and they were just pumping out so many risky, like, just, they were just taking a, a shit ton of risks. Yeah, but if you the, look devil at was in, the devil was in the details there, because the reason they were taking so many risks is that they were gobbling up all these small studios, and the small studios were the ones taking the risks. I don't know about that, because um, EA also published Shadows of the Damned, which was produced by Shinji Mikami, creator of, of Resident Evil, and that was it was directed by uh, Suda51, and Suda51, you know, his whole deal is, you know, I want the graphics to be cel-shaded. EA came in and were like, no, you know, make the graphics realistic, and, you know, he was against it, but... You there know, was that, a lot that, of corporate meddling with that game. Yeah, uh, there, there really was, and so... You know, with with Dead Space, and if we're talking 2008, you had Dead Space, Mirror's Edge, and there were a couple other games that came out that year from EA that was was just so unlike what they were they would usually do. 
you know, I, I think that that worked out really well. But the fact that Dead Space turned out to be a success, that seems like a happy accident. They just kind of hit the right note there. I, I loved right. it because it was essentially Event Horizon, the video game, and that's one of my favorite movies. Oh, right on. Um, yeah. I know we've talked about it a little bit, but what did you think of Alien Isolation? Oh, right. Yeah, so Alien Isolation was another game that came out of that that like amnesia influence where, you know, it was, for the most part, you're running away from this creature and you don't, you can fight back, but you can't really kill it. It's, you know, it hunts you for the, uh, you know, for the duration of the game. And I feel like, you know, people have said this before. A lot of that came from actually from from Nemesis in Resident Evil 3. The fact that he follows you from room to room and you, you never really get rid of him. Um, and so they, uh, I, I feel like there, I think there's an interview out there where the amnesia guys were like, yeah, we were we were influenced by Nemesis from RE3. I could be wrong, though, but I, it wouldn't you know, surprise just, me. I mean, all these yeah. things draw threads to one another. And exactly. Yeah, it makes isolation. Total sense. Isolation is probably um, my favorite horror game that I've ever played just because of how effective a stalker the, the xenomorph is. Right. Yeah. No, that's, that's super awesome. Um, I, um, I'm a big fan of that game and it's the weirdest thing. I have not played it. It's on my, uh, my list of games to play one day, but I'm still a huge, <laughs> I'm, I'm a huge fan of the fact that it exists. You know what I mean? If that makes any sense. It, you know, it's not perfect because it, it goes on a bit longer than it maybe should. I mean, it's right. a very long game. Um, once you kind of figure out how the alien works, it does detract from it a little bit. Not not yeah. much because they've there's an element of not randomness but unpredictability to it that you never quite get over. And it it adheres to its aesthetic to a fault. Um, okay, because right, it, yeah. it follows the first movie's art direction almost perfectly. Right. Uh, it like to a scary degree how accurate it is, but then that also means you're reading a lot of logs on computers, and that can draw, you know, that can drag on a bit. But one of the one of the coolest aspects of the game, and I'm sure like I've, I haven't really watched any let's plays or anything of this game, so I don't really know what the reaction, like the wide reaction was to this. But one aspect of the game is that saving is risky. You right. have to use this terminal and it takes a few seconds to insert your card and it has to open up and turn on and, and actually do your save. And you can get killed by the alien while you're saving. Yeah, most games don't do that. Which is just, you've taken one of the few things that gamers kind of intuitively accept as as safe right. and you've stripped that away. It, it would be like Mr. X following you into the save room. In, Which in happens in, in three, right? Uh, it happens, it on, happens in like one place. And, okay. a, and a specific difficulty mode, I think, too. Yeah. Um, to, 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 to an additional, or to a lesser extent, rather, uh, Dead Space is kind of oppressive in that sense because you have to access, I mean, a lot of horror games do this, but I felt like Dead Space did it especially well, where you have to access that item menu. Um, and right. you, you have to access it. And it's sort of like this projection in front of you. So you kind of see everything that's happening in front of you while you're trying to adjust and configure what you need. Right. Yeah. There's no pausing. Yeah. They got a lot of, um, they, they got a lot of credit for the, the sort of diegetic interface that they had in, in, in dead space where it's, it's like part of the, it's not, 
this detached thing from the narrative. It's actually like in the game and he's looking at it and browsing it. And so, no, yeah, I could talk about that game for literally hours upon hours. It's a, it's, it's really a masterpiece yeah. Two, not as much, even though I still enjoy that game. And then, and then three happened and it was like, I, wh- wh- why, why, two, you know, two had a couple of moments that I really, really liked. Um, yeah. One is kind of hokey. I like the iron, the whole Iron Man moment just because it's ridiculous. Right. Um, yeah. But in serious talk, I really liked the return to the Ishimura. Okay. Um, because they they take you back to that ship from the first game. And for about a half hour, you don't see a single enemy. And you are you are taken out of like the darkness of the station and you're put into these like bright crushing lights of the ship that you previously walked through in the last game. And there's like white tarps everywhere and cleaning supplies and you can see where they've scrubbed stuff down and there's even a point where like you turn there's a black light that comes on and you can see the remnants of blood stains and it's really unsettling and and you're and you're going through these, you know, this essentially this crypt of the first game that has now become sterile and nothing happens. For like a half hour, no attacks, no enemies, nothing, no indication that anything is going to happen. And it is just, it drives you crazy because the anticipation just builds and builds. Like, you know, they're going to do something, you know, they're going to do something. When's it going to happen? And it was like, right at the moment, like it was perfectly timed for me. And I know, I mean, it might not be the same for everybody, but like you get to a part in there where it just feels like the tension is at its highest moment. And I am about ready to scream at the game. Like, come on now, where is it? And right (laughs) at that moment, something jumps out from behind some boxes and, and nearly kills me. And it was just like, it was the perfect scare. It was like, the tension was like at the absolute limit to what you could push it to. And then it released. Yeah. No, that 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 game was good at like scaring you even even when you knew you're about to get scared. You're like, come on, come on. Damn it. It still got me. (laughs) Yeah, it played with your anticipation of the jump scares. Yep. I do love it when horror is is genre savvy. Um, Yeah. When, especially to Vector's point, I was thinking about Until Dawn, um, how some of the mechanics are oppressive in a sense that it goes against your logic. Um, things that you think would save somebody would actually fuck them over or fuck another player over. Um, and they actually inverted quick time mechanics where it was like, no, don't, don't try to press something quickly. Try not to move. And sometimes inaction is the best action. Um, so I, I also appreciate those sort of like genre savvy types of oppressive mechanics in horror. Yeah. Until Dawn and Dead Space are both just, amazing and you know i'm glad that that team got a chance to make another game uh fingers i know you played man of medan yeah that one wasn't as good it it felt like just like half-baked a little you know but it was it was okay i just i definitely knew what what was going on like immediately you know what i mean like the as far as the the spoiler plot point goes okay yeah, I, I still I, I hope those guys continue to make games, and hopefully, uh, they they get something that's on par with uh, the original Until Dawn. Huge fan of that game, but um, but was, speaking of, of horror games, you know we uh, we kind of got a hint that maybe uh, our favorite uh, crypto weirdo game developer guy might be working on on uh, you know something uh, something uh, horror based maybe. 
Yeah, the um the tweet he made a while back was uh, a little hard to decipher in English. That was back I, in November, right? Yeah. And I, okay. I asked some people, I asked actually three different people t- who are fluent in Japanese to independently translate the original Japanese tweet because the English version was kind of hard to decipher. It wasn't clear if he was talking about making a new horror game, like if he was if he was thinking about a new horror game or if he was reminiscing about his experience making PT. Right. And it just seems like a lot of gaming news outlets just take what they want to hear out of a statement and roll with it. Definitely. So Do you I have asked, the tweet? Um, uh, How hard would that be to find? Um, Not hard. Uh... Give me one second. I'll find it. Oh, look for the, uh, the just look for Kojima the Eye, because that was the name of the movie he was referencing. Right, right, right. So it was. Um, there it is. Have you guys noticed that Kojima's been like suspiciously uh, away Quiet. from Twitter? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's probably not much to talk about. He can't go outside and take photos as much. He's not having <laughs> as many fancy lunches. He can't not- eat right. cheeseburgers in public. He's like, I can only retweet this same picture of the Death Stranding cast so many times. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, Jesus. I'm waiting for his I'm all right tweet. If anybody remembers that. Oh, yeah, I mean, I remember the, uh... them saying there was like an outbreak at, you know, Koji Productions. And then it was just kind of like, so, okay. So I don't have the English tweet. Um, oh wait, yeah, I do. Uh, he said, and this is this is the the tweet as said from his English account. Yeah. As to make the scariest horror game, I'll watch the scary movies in order to awaken my horror soul. The Eye is the Thai horror movie I rent when making PT, but was too scary to finish watching. The package is scary, so I rented the disc only. Will I be able to finish watching? Um, and. You know that that's that's very kind of yeah rough English. So I was wondering what that was in Japanese because that statement, you know, as to make the scariest horror game, I'll watch the scary movies in order to awaken my horror or whatever. He's it sounds like you could take it either way. Given the next sentence is about PT, he's either saying he's thinking about you know making another horror game and he see you know that's in his head, or he was talking about his time making PT. It could go either way. So I had three different people independently translate it and they've all basically said the same thing that he is talking about thinking of a new game right so yeah yeah no the the uh the original japanese tweet was way different drastically different than this translation i just remembered you're one of the three people so like you just now remember that i thought that's why we were talking about this in the first place (laughs) it's been a long day man it's been a long day (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so I I offered so, uh, my so I asked you and two other people because I didn't trust you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, no, yeah, never I'm, trust me because I was the first to tell you like, yo, my shit is rusty. But, but um, no, you were, I'm looking, you were spot on. Well, I'm looking for the original tweet because like there's there's a lot more detail in the original Japanese, but um, but I can't find it. I don't no, know why. Hold on, hold on, I'll send it to you. Um, but it's it's worth unpacking because there's a lot of information in there. Um, oh, good. You found it. Yep. Okay. I was, I scrolled up for like two years, so I got to make my way back down. Oh, here we go. Okay. All right. So, um, and I also threw it into Google translate. So, you know, just to make sure I wasn't missing anything. Um, so, so yeah, uh, he, he is talking about, you know, making a new game, but the way that he's saying it, it's kind of like as a thought experiment, you know what I mean? Right. So he's like, you know, if if I were going to make a horror game, here's how I would do it. Uh, and that's like, I guess 
this could be more of an indication that he's not working on anything at all. And, and that's like, you know, this is just uh, him thinking about like, you know, if I could work right now and we weren't in the middle of a pandemic, here's what I would do. So, well, he said not too long ago that the project he was most thinking about, I'm trying to remember what it is. I'll have to dig it up, but I could have sworn he talked about what he wanted to do after death stranding. And it had to do with, messing with the dynamic of like streamers and their audience. Oh, right. I remember that. And so like he wanted to create some sort of an interaction there where like the people watching can change the game that the player is streaming. And there's like a back and forth there and, and PlayStation with their built-in streaming service kind of has like a, a very small version of that to some extent. Very few games have made any use of it, but like, I'm trying to think of an example, but but like you can throw obstacles into games. Yeah, I've seen a couple of those like party games. Yeah, yeah, and uh, the Telltale games. Uh, Doki Doki Literature Club. It has a change. Um, if you have like the dialogue with the sort of final area changes, um, if you have like a streaming client running, uh, and essentially the character, the final boss, quote unquote, does a does a jump scare for the audience. That's creepy. <laughs> so this right. yeah, is more she's, like she's just like, oh, I see you have wa- people watching us. I have a little surprise for them. And then she like flashes this creepy face. Spoilers. Oh, that's creepy. <laughs> yeah. The um the thing Kojima was talking about more like it, it almost sounded like it. Let's say you're running through a level and a player watching can throw an obstacle in your way. Uh, okay. All right. Cool. So I don't know. Um, that sounds. Great. I kind of doubt we'll see a horror game next unless maybe that's. You know, whatever whatever's coming next, they're probably already working on it. Well, when I first saw the tweet, I looked at it. Uh, the Japanese version reads more like an advertisement, and that's probably why there was no translation for this in the English version, because uh, he specifically references the place where he rented the movie, which is like, I don't know what purpose that serves. Why would you even You get a little scratch that? on the side? It, that, you know, that's, that's kind of what it seemed like, <laughs> but... I mean, it's maybe he's just like, hey, I really like this this place and support him so that I can keep going there. That's also possible. But um, yeah, the, the main thing here is to me, it, it's more like him him saying, you know, this is um, it's just an idea that he's throwing around. I, I don't think yeah. that it's really an indication that he really is making a horror game. But well, he's been talking about. Yeah, he's been talking about making horror games for for so long. Eventually, he wound up and just did it. Death Stranding essentially was as close to survival horror as uh, as Kojima gets. Okay, as close as close as he gets. Yeah, maybe. Right. Yeah, from a gameplay perspective, it's a it's more of a stealth game. But there wasn't really anything scary in that game, other than a couple of like hokey, you know, jump scare moments where the screen the goes B, red. Some of the BT moments when you're, like, sneaking around that got a little sketchy, like, you know, before you knew what you were doing and you didn't have the handcuff things. Yeah, but it felt not too far detached from just avoiding guards in Metal Gear. Right. Well, I was playing it with headphones, and that shit was scary. <laughs> I don't know if it was just, like, the sound design going on, but just it made it really like The DNA of Metal Gear is very much in that game. Yeah, for sure. So here's something that's going to blow your mind real quick. Um, if you, you know, from a gameplay perspective, it, like if you just look at it in terms of gameplay and if, if you remove the horror elements, a survival horror game. Here's the weird thing is that like we call it survival horror, right? But 
horror, the horror element is it's not essential for the gameplay to work. So if you remove the horror aspect, then games like Resident Evil and Silent Hill, the fact that, you know, you're trying to avoid enemies and, you know, can, and you're conserving resources, that makes the game nearly indistinguishable from a stealth game. And they even tried to do this. Rockstar tried to make a survival horror game with real people, and which is how we wound up with, with Manhunt. And that game is literally a, a, a Splinter Cell clone. So, so huh. yeah, the more you know. To that might explain fair, why I like the two. To be fair, Sam be Fisher fair. does not kill people with plastic bags. He should. He should, though. Yeah, and shards, broken shards of glass with uh, with cloth wrapped around him. And he should shove crowbars up people's asses. That seems like something Sam Fisher would do. But to the um, point of uh, Manhunt, um, there was that mechanic where if you had a mic, uh, oh, yeah. people could hear you. That was very right. Kojima-esque. So if you had yeah, like definitely. a... If you had like a... I think it was probably like a peripheral because it was that generation. But if you had that, right. for people who don't know, um, the NPCs, people hunting you down in the game, um, they would hear you. Um and you could use it, exploit it for your own gain. But again, something that sort of breaks like the tec- technical logistics of, of a video game, of a console, of its features. Alien Isolation actually has a similar mechanic where you can optionally turn on your mic and your camera. And right. your camera can be used so that you can lean in either direction to peek around things. Like you lean in real life, the camera detects it, and your character leans in game and you look around objects. But with the microphone... It's this kind of the same thing where if you get startled and you make a loud noise because you were scared, the <laughs> alien will hear it. I worked on a, a game in college, uh, you know, the student project where you play as a character who's um, they're blind, but they can they can um, they can see the environment through echolocation. So it was a horror game and you had like you, you had to play with a microphone and you would speak into the microphone and that would shoot out like a sonar. And that was, you know, the light would bounce uh, or the sound would bounce around the walls. And that's how you could actually see the map. But that sound was also what let enemies hear you. And so, cause the enemies were blind too. And so that was the only way that, that enemies would ever track you was the sound that you needed to, uh, you know, to, to, to see where the hell you were going. It was a great idea. Uh, but the team wound up being a bunch of jerks and, uh, it didn't end well, uh, between the two of us, but I, you know, I thought that was a cool idea. It, you know, a lot of people have taken that sense and run with it. There's, there are several echolocation survival horror games now man yeah where where are those at i, I uh, i'd love to see indie projects like one's right. called Lur- lurking for example all right i gotta check that out um I haven't, cool. I haven't played any of them i'm just kind of aware of them um, right but uh yeah that's a concept that kind of picked up and i think there's also there's another echolocation game where it's not survival horror you're just somebody sort of navigating an environment through sound um, okay right on and it's, yeah, it's like, it's just kind of exploring what it's like not to have vision. Right. Wow. Yeah. I think uh, they, they wound up using my suggestion, which was, um, if you remember the, the Ben Affleck Daredevil movie, uh, the way that, that he sees, it's, it's kind of the aesthetic they chose for the, the final look of the game, um, which I think was I just saw a screenshot of that 
I was I was looking some stuff up and I think I just saw something <laughs> like a, that. Not a terrible movie. Anyway, point is <laughs> Kojima Kojima loves putting zombies in his games. You know, he's been dying to do a, a, what are you, a horror game. What are game you for talking about? Zombies have nothing to do with Metal Gear. <laughs> Crazy right. talk. <laughs> right. Cue that tweet from 2013. Yeah. Wanna make a genuine zombie game? Right. Yeah. I remember uh Can't dodge that one. No, he um I remember that, like he had a really crazy idea. We talked about this a few episodes back, I feel like, where he wanted to make a game where it's like an MMO or something and if you turn into a zombie, you can't make another character until like somebody kills you. Yeah. Something like that. It was it was you would still have to pay for your account. Your character would be walking around and you would either have to open up a second account or get your friend to kill you to get your first account back. All right, obviously um, that wouldn't have worked out. But he's See, also talked about how, like, Metal Gear Rising 2, he wanted to have nanomachine zombies, which is basically the concept from Survive. Yep, yeah. Guy loves zombies. I wonder if that has anything to do with, uh, like, I've, I used to have crazy dreams about zombies, and that, apparently, uh, I did, like, some dream analysis thing, and, and that means you're, you're, like, if you have, if you dream about zombies, you're stuck in, like, an endless loop, or, you know, you feel like, um... Like you're you're just going going through the motions and you're not innovating or you're just you're essentially brain dead. Uh, and so I wonder if if he felt like that and that's what you know inspired him to think about a zombie game. What's uh what does it say if you dream about Guy Savage in your sleep and Dracula and vampires? Yeah, vampires are different, right? So. I don't know. I I uh, I haven't had any vampire dreams, but maybe Kojima has. He's got several vampires in his games. <laughs> you, you, you know. I was not to be like. I don't know. I was thinking about when you said that. I was thinking about the guy Savage the Easter egg and like the original three. Like you can't even see it in subsistence of the HD collections. Right. Um, I'm like, okay. What Which is- sucks. Cause that's a really good friggin' little, you want to talk about a playable teaser. Guy Savage blows PT out of the water. You want to talk about Guy Savage though. You guys might already know this, but that was a prototype for zone of the enders three. Yeah. That sucks. Like either of those, I would have, I would have taken over survive. Man. Did you ever take a look at the, um, the proto, the, like the early concept work? that they put out for a potential Zone of the Enders 3, the Project Enders artwork. I saw the artwork, yeah. How Man. like it, it was like JFT and they were all like like jacked up. Yeah, they were they it was like some kind gothic of like chain whip. kind of stuff. Yeah. And it looked so cool, man. I'm so, Yeah. And essentially the reason why it didn't get made was because the Zone of the Enders HD collection did so poorly. Uh, yeah, right. Yeah. That's um I guess uh, the best tears series in my eyes. that has never done well. Oh, oh wait, uh, I just found something. To see a vampire in your dream symbolizes an aspect of your personality that is parasitic or selfishly feeds off others. Parasites, Ooh. you say. Ooh, yeah, parasites. There you go. It's right there. So, Well, uh, why was Big Boss afraid of vampires? <laughs> Such a weird uh, phobia. He's, I think that was just a... a a half-assed bit of characterization, like, all right, we got to try and make him human. So, what is his? What's he afraid of? Oh, vampires! What's he like to do? Eat everything? I can, I can give you kind of like what my gut feeling is about it. Okay, um, Metal Gear has its chronology, but it kind of exists in release order. 
to an extent. You know, Metal Gear Solid 3 more directly references things in Metal Gear Solid 2 than it does like Metal Gear 1 or 2, for example. Right. Yeah, good point. Um, so I think it was just them saying, huh, Snake doesn't like his experiences with Vamp. <laughs> okay, maybe. That's that's, that's kind of how it came off to me. But also, As here's this cool weird... game. Yeah, here's this awesome yeah. game. So wait, did they take out the vampire conversation entirely in in uh, the HD remaster? Uh, I think so. Yeah, there's no way to access that conversation, right? I was just talking to someone earlier about all the things that got removed from the HD collection. So like in... Three, they got rid of Guy Savage. They got rid of Snake versus Monkey. Yeah. Um, and you can kind of understand both of those to an extent. Right. Because Guy Savage was its own engine. Uh, Snake versus Monkey, you know, required certain licenses. You've got, you know, Metal Gear Online was removed for obvious reasons. The servers haven't been online in ages. Uh, and then MGS2, they got rid of the skateboarding mission, which was, again, a different engine. It was essentially a demo for Konami's Evolution skateboarding game. Right. But it just still kind of sucks, you know? Yeah, those are uh, fun yeah. little things that, like, made the games better. But, you know. Totally. Just hunt down the OG versions, I guess. Yeah, I mean, emulation, you know, is kind of caught yeah. up now. So if you want to play them at a higher resolution, you can. Going back to uh, preserving the past. Yeah. I guess that's the one thing we can always count on is emulation to kind of keep the, the the torch lit at least a little bit. So despite the fact that PT is eventually going to fade away in terms of ways to play it on the proper hardware. Right. Um, once somebody out there cracks PS4 emulation, you know, it'll never be gone. And then there's the, you know, all of the, the different fan remakes of it, like a unreal engine remake of it. Right. Which I never played it, but I heard it was, it was extremely authentic. I mean, I'm I sure know. it is still not a game though. <laughs> still not a game. Well, yeah, I mean, it's not, but I mean, it was this free little experiment that was released, you know, does it, does it have to be like a traditionally playable thing or can it exist as just sort of a weird artistic experiment? Like, can we have that in games? Now that's a great question and I need time to think about an answer. You know, anybody else want to weigh in? (laughs) The way I see it, I'm trying to look at this as sort of like a glass half full situation. The way I see it is is that was Kojima's form of marketing. I mean, it's literally called playable teaser. And if they're going to put effort into that, I would prefer that than for them to spill, spend like millions putting video games, AAA games on my cans of like Mountain Dews and like boxes of Cheez-Its. Yeah, yeah. But he's done that too. That's fair. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Got to so, throw a wide net. Yeah, the thing about that playable teaser is that they did spend millions. They had to give Norman Reedus a paycheck. That was a huge chunk of the budget. Uh, and then they had to pay salaries for all the people that, that put that together. Um, I'm sure Guillermo del Toro wasn't working for free either. Oh, yeah. So well, but, that's, but, that's my know, point is that I would rather them put that, that money and effort towards doing those sort of unique experiences than just slapping something on, on a product. We don't know that though. You know, for all we know, they could have worked to scale on something like that. It's, it's hard to say. That's true. Um, Um, but I I also feel like that's one of the reasons why Konami closed their games division was because money was being wasted on stuff like that. Possibly. Yeah. It was one of the, one of the most audacious things that Kojima said about PT was that they tried to make it look like a cheap indie game. And I'm thinking, do you know what cheap indie games look like? <laughs> I think that was that was BS. That was a flat out lie. Yeah. <laughs> so 
Uh, no. An indie game with with a ten million dollar budget, maybe. Right, which was uh, what those guys at Ninja Theory did with uh, Cinema Sacrifice. Right, right. That is one of the most impressive, um, you know, case studies to look at in terms of 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 low cost game development. I mean, obviously they had a studio on hand and all of this, all of these resources and all of these, uh, uh, you know, talented developers to make something like this but on a shoestring budget they were able to crank out something like that once yeah i think the budget for that i feel like the budget for that was only like five million dollars i want to say i think it was 10 but maybe 10 yeah for a triple a quality title like they the people were throwing around the term like triple i you know like triple a indie title right uh, after that came out but like they they wanted to say like you know after you've established your studio you don't have to keep throwing these giant bags of money at your project to get it made. You can scale it backwards. And, and it was, I mean, that's impressive what they were able to pull off. Yeah. I wish, uh, I wish Kojima would do the same. Uh, I was, I was actually disappointed when I found Sony was back in his next project. And, you know, like I feel like he could really shine if he had more limitations that, that forced him to be more creative Death Stranding, he kind of like was able to do whatever the hell he wanted, and and um, and some people really liked it. I thought it was a massive waste of, of potential, in my opinion. It, I will agree that I think Kojima with limitations uh, is a more capable creator than Kojima with a blank check. Right. One thing I always kind of suspected he was trying to do at Konami, but I'll, I'll never know for sure. I wish you know, I wish I could get an answer on this, but it seemed to me like his. The entire, you know, course correction from just making games to making an engine and marketing that engine and putting themselves in the center of Los Angeles near all of these producers was him kind of low-key making the statement, we're going to be a technology company as well as a game developer because he wanted to establish some sort of passive income so that he could continue to fund these kind of projects without, you know the higher ups breathing down his neck. Now that's just speculation yeah. on my part, but that's what it seemed like the direction they were going was in. Makes sense. So like, I, I was like thinking in my head, like what if someday you could get a license for the Fox engine, you know, for either movies or for your own studio? Like, is that where they were going with this? Or was this always strictly going to be an in-house tool? Please stop. Please stop making me think of a brighter future. <laughs> <laughs> I can't handle no, that. No, truly. Today, <laughs> in this day and age. Dare to dream. Yeah, no. If uh, that it would make sense to to license the Fox engine, that uh, if Konami's trying to make money, that that would have been uh, well. Okay, so they might not. That might not have been the best idea because they might that that meant they would have had to provide um like tools and documentation and support for people that license the engine. The only people that were really trained to use it was. You know, like two studios, but Kojima Productions and the guys who make the the soccer game. Right. But here's the thing. When they were building the Fox engine, the the impetus behind making that engine was to make a tool that would allow their artists who were non-programmers to hop in and make quick changes and prototype things without having to rely on the development staff. So it was intended to be easy to use to some extent. Exactly. But you can do the same exact thing with the Unreal Engine. True. And 
Yeah, and Unreal Engine, they just they have way more support for people that license their engine. And and also you can start messing around with the Unreal Engine for free. So yeah. unless Konami was willing to say, like, hey, here's our engine, here's all this technology that we've built, here's all our industry secrets for free. And then if you make a product and well, you want to sell it, then you give us licensing rights. I don't think they were willing to do that. Well, this was also kind of a different time, you know, like the, the landscape has changed dramatically. And like I said, I, I don't really have any evidence for this. This is just speculation on my part. Yeah. You know, he kept talking about wanting to get his hands into Hollywood and how the Fox engine could could crank out Hollywood level visual effects and, and et cetera, et cetera. And so I just kind of I was I, I was, you know, Pepe Silva putting, you know, things together <laughs> on the wall here. <laughs> so sorry for the like noob question. Um but what is the precedence as far as the East with licensing engines? Like, I, I know obviously about Unreal, uh, but I wasn't sure how that business Oh, worked. man. Oh, you Ooh. have opened up an entire can of worms. <laughs> okay, I'm glad. It depends on <laughs> the kind of company you are. If you are an independent studio, for example. Um, Unreal actually just changed their, their licensing agreement with uh, the announcement of Unreal 5. Didn't they say something like if your game like your the the license is free to use until your game makes up to like a certain Yeah, like, like a million dollars. Until yeah. if you're Yeah, until your game makes a million dollars, you don't owe any royalties. They they just pulled the rug out from under Unity in that regard. Because before right. Unity had the much better deal. Yeah. With something like a hundred thousand so, dollars in sales. Okay. Do you guys remember the period of of gaming history when all these Japanese companies were outsourcing their games to Western studios. You had Konami, they, they had uh, Castlevania being developed by Mercury Steam. Um, you know, Sega had all these shitty games that were coming out, like Binary Domain and, and everything to try to appeal to Western audiences. You guys remember that? Yeah, that was like yeah. a culty thing, like a cult classic, if I recall. <laughs> Not very Binary good, Domain? Maybe. Yeah, Maybe. like culty as in They did it with so the Silent bad, Hill good. games. Well, like Homecomings, uh, I think. Oh, right. Uh, Shattered yeah. Memories, yeah, I uh, Downpour. Uh, I think Silent Hill Origins was one, too. Yep. yep. Yeah, yeah. And I talked to uh, one of the guys who worked on uh, on that game because they were working on a, a reboot for uh, the Legacy of Kane series. And, and some footage uh, of that game leaked. And so, you know, I did a video on that. And, you know, and, and it's, it's just a matter of money. But anyway... So all these Japanese companies were, they were outsourcing their, their, their intellectual properties to Western studios because they were hoping that they could appeal to Western audiences because they needed to make more money because games were costing more money to make. It's a vicious cycle. Um, and the reason why they're for the longest time, like Japan, people were saying like the Japanese gaming industry is dying. It's dead. I don't know if you guys remember that, but you know, like, Japanese studios weren't putting out quality games and a lot of studios had to close. Uh, and so, you know, you had platinum that was keeping the, that Japanese style of game development alive. But, um, but platinum okay, so was the, born out of uh Clover closing, right. wasn't it? Yeah, it, it was. And they were like the one studio that was able to make quality Japanese style games. Everything else was, um, like so many studios had to close because they just couldn't keep up with, with uh, console development on the PS3 and Xbox. They, they didn't have the resources. And the reason for that was because the way that games were made in, in Japan before, uh, 
I want to say 2014 was when you started a new project, you started from the ground up from scratch. You, you made the engine and everything from scratch custom for every single project, which is, you know, every every Japanese game on PS2 it uses its own engine that was built specifically for that game and for nothing else. You know, Devil May Cry, uh, Capcom, uh, all of their their games, uh, you know, Onimusha. And it's weird because Onimusha is, is like a Resident Evil clone, right? But it has its own engine. It's not like it uses the same engine as, as like Code Veronica or, or something like that. So... Obviously, that's like ridiculous, ridiculously expensive to make a custom engine for every single game. But their entire development pipeline was based around like, okay, here's step one is making the engine. And, and because Japan has this thing about, you know, tradition and it's, it's, it's difficult for Japanese developers to innovate because their development pipeline is very rooted in like, okay, here's, just here's just the way it's done here's the way we've been doing it and so they 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 kept that going for a, the longest time until bit summit came along so you guys remember electronic gaming monthly mm-hmm. may they rest oh, yeah. in peace <laughs> miss those guys so much Dan, so, out there we love you sorry yeah <laughs> so the 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 former the lead editor uh, the editor in chief of that, he split off to make his own studio. Um, what, uh, what, what are they called? They do the pixel junk series. Um, I forget the name of the studio, but, uh, but he, he formed his own indie studio headquartered in Japan. And then he decided, all right, let's do like an indie showcase for Japan because like uh, there were so many people that thought like the indie, indie thing is impossible. The only way to get a job in the gaming industry in Japan is to join a big company. So this guy, his name is James Milky. His last name is really Milky. He's a cool, cool dude though. Uh, so he puts together this thing called bit summit and you know, and it's just a showcase of all these indie developers in Japan, you know, these indie, indie, it's an indie festival held once a year, and one of their sponsors is, uh, well, they have Unity makes a presence there, uh, Unreal Engine, and so you had this, like, it, it was like an awakening, this indie awakening in Japan, and like the first bit summit I want to say was 2011, 2012. Uh, I went to the second one, I was lucky enough to, to, to see it, uh, see it live, but, um, but ever since then, you had the, like the, the Unreal Engine and Unity was was a thing. And then soon after that, you saw like you saw this huge comeback in Japanese games, which was it was mind blowing to see. You had all these high quality Japanese titles coming out. Neo, uh, you had um, like Platinum was still doing their thing. Uh, and now you have all these studios that are making games with the Unreal Engine. Like Square Enix, they work on the Unreal Engine exclusively now. Have you guys noticed that? Yeah, I mean, that's what FF7 Remake was built on. Exactly. Uh, and they they had their own engine. They had their, their crystal framework. What was it called? It was called uh, Luminous Studio that they were teasing. And then they were like, screw that. Uh, you know... Uh, Kingdom Hearts was in development hell for for decades. You know why? Because they were using a custom engine, and then they were like, "Screw it, we're going to use Unreal Engine." And the game finally got released. So, <laughs> so better or worse, right? Yeah, but uh, the fact that 
this this engine came along and is helping Japanese studios actually finish games, it's um you know it's it's a good thing because yeah. uh yeah At Final Fantasy uh, fifteen that game was built on Square's custom engine because they're just like here's how we make games we make the engine for each specific game and that's also why and Nitroid you'll be into this because you know as a historian and an archivist that's why Final Fantasy eight when they remastered that, they had to do it without the source code because because right. they didn't yeah, have it. Could, they didn't have it because they're terrible at archiving their stuff because they make everything and custom for every game. The, 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 uh, the remaster was built. Go ahead. Oh, sorry, I was going to say, wasn't that what happened to uh, the Silent Hill HD remake? Like they pretty much gave them nothing to work with. That sounds familiar. I remember hearing something like that. With I don't I don't know too much about the the Silent Hill HD. Uh, Kerfluffle, we'll say. <laughs> but uh, with Final Fantasy VIII, the version that got remastered is essentially the PC version. And the, the dead giveaway for that is the fact that it doesn't have any analog control, which the PC and the PC version is notorious for. So huh. you've only got you've only got like eight directional movement. You don't whereas the, the PS1 version, if you had an analog controller, had true analog movement. But there are That's also parts cool. in the game that glitch occasionally, and I think they've patched this out, but at certain points, the music would switch to MIDI uh, r- rather than the actual <laughs> tracks. And I actually had that happen to me while I was playing my first time through. Wow. Um, and I've got I've got other gripes with that remaster beyond just the fact that it was, you know, built off of the PC version. But that's a that's a talk for another time on the um, the uh, Japanese developers creating a new engine each time. Kojima and uh, the KCEJ team, they didn't quite do that. They they were sort of doing something a little something something kind of in between. For each new Metal Gear Solid game, they would build on top of the old engine. So right, yeah, yeah. Far, I remember mean, seeing the um the that prototype for MGS three was made in just like the the bare bare bones MGS two engine. Yeah, and they then, did yeah, have the, to rewrite major parts of it, but it's right. still you can look at at parts of MGS4's code and there are still references to MGS1 and and its code. So there's still legacy oh, MGS1 good. code in MGS4. And then that's the Fox good. engine was built on top of MGS4. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you can I can totally see the DNA in there. So, yeah, they smartened up and they were like, "Hey, like doing this engine rewriting thing, it's it's not going to work." So they decided to create the Fox engine, which yeah. is still being used for winning 11. So good for them. Is it is that confirmed because I've never been able to actually get confirmation on that. What what do you mean? That that um the Fox engine is still being used for for winning 11. I I'm pretty because sure stripped, it is. They, because I fire if I remember right, they stripped the branding out at least 2 years ago. They might have done that, but I can't think of any other reason. They might have switched to Unreal, honestly. That would, that would be crazy. But that's like the sense. one. I mean, right. Konami is using on. Uh, they're using Unity in house. That's what they had for uh, Super Bomberman R. That was built in okay. Unity. Okay, man. Let me see. What's the most recent version? Is 20, 2019. I, I've been looking for references to the Fox Engine now for a couple years, and there's almost nothing other than like Metal Gear Survive. Well, the the Wikipedia for Pro Evolution Soccer 2019 says Fox Engine, and but, then the uh, yeah. I looked into that and I checked there there's no the last time I checked there was no citation for that other than a news article that made an assumption. Well, I think the easiest way to check would be to look at the credits for uh for the game. Right. Yeah, that would and that's, then But that's what I mean. It's I've I've 
I haven't checked them, but I've had someone that I've talked to tell me that they've like stripped the branding out, so you don't see the Fox Engine logo anymore. So I don't know if they would even mention it at that point. But yeah, you. I mean, you'd have to check. I should probably okay. actually go and check, you know, <laughs> rather right. than just kind of assume it's gone. So the next Metal Gear game should be about is finding out about what happened to the uh, to the Fox Engine. Metal Gear Solid Seven: The Search for Metal Gear Solid Six. <laughs> <laughs> That could work. That would that would totally work. You know Let's what? Go full do Mel a, Brooks with it. Do a sequel to uh, Police Nuts. Have it be a detective game. You know. I would love that. Try, um, try. I don't know. I mean, at this point, I'm kind of against any kind of direct sequel to Kojima games. I, I would rather see them become sort of anthology titles, similar to like classic 007 movies or Final Fantasy, where each one is sort of a unique interpretation of a collection of themes and tropes and, and images and ideas rather than like an ongoing chronological story that carries all this baggage from game to game to game. That sounds like what Jordan Definitely. Roberts is doing with the movie pretty I, much. Yeah. We'll see how that goes. <laughs> There's, yeah, I don't I mean, think that's we what, are going to see how that goes. I mean, and you don't think by so? that I mean, yeah, but I, I feel like um, if I could get rid of this stutter, I think, the actual we'll see how that goes will be we won't see anything of it. I, I don't think that project's going to get off the ground. If you think it does, this artwork's just a treat, like just for fans kind of then? Well, and I honestly, I hope I'm wrong because the first step to making something good is you got to fuck up real bad. So I there's no doubt in my mind that this Metal Gear Solid movie is going to be absolutely terrible if it actually does get made. Um, you know, because I didn't hate Kong Skull Island. I didn't think it was a bad movie, but it's not great either. And, you know, in order to make, to, to put a project like this together, you have to convince a publisher. So a big studio that it's, it's going to make gangbusters of money. So like the, and in order to make that much money, you really got to have, an, ama- an amazing concept that like you gotta have a great script, amazing concept art. And you know, if, if you, I don't think just, metal gear carries that kind of attention anymore. It doesn't. Yeah. I don't think so, it ever did honestly. Right. So it's trying to convince a studio to fund this operation. Cause there's no way I can't imagine trying to make this movie without it being like a, a $150 million dollars. Or more. There's no way you do this like a like a Bloomhouse indie type deal. But man, if they did, I would love it. Oh yeah, sure, right? Because then you could be super experimental, and you don't have to worry about making money. You can do something that has artistic merit. But that's not gonna happen. You know, just so, to clarify something I said. Like I realize when I say that that I don't think Metal Gear's ever commanded that kind of attention. Let me be specific, because yes, this series has sold a ridiculous number of copies, but it's never kind of held the cultural consciousness in the way that some other game franchises have. Right. So it's, it's still, despite selling that many copies, it's still kind of niche in a lot of ways. Yeah. I, I I definitely agree with what you're saying. That's, that's just kind of what I meant. I mean, if this movie does manifest with everything I've heard about it, I think it's going to end up kind of like, and I know I've said this before, but like 
the the live action Ghost in the Shell movie where it was sort of this chimera of everything Ghost in the Shell that had been released up to that point. Yeah, good point. Whether it was Arise or Standalone Complex or Innocence or the original film or the manga, it was like, okay, we're going to grab this here, this here, this here, this here, this here with no consideration about why these elements were placed where they were placed and we're just going to put them in because that's what people remember. And yeah. I think that's kind of where we're ending up with this. So if it does happen, it's going to be kind of like that movie. That's that's my my gut feeling. Hmm. You it'll know, be a more, I, it'll be a more pretentious version of the Ghost in the Shell live action movie. Yeah, I, I think I would honestly be OK with that if it turned out to be at at or around the same level of quality as as that Ghost in the Shell movie. I think that's the best case scenario, honestly. Probably. Did did you see the you saw that one scene that uh he posted that was kind of like the it was like a storyboard kind of thing, but um Which with one? all the like blood with the like the blood droplets and then it turned into water and it was like him underwater and the Oh right, yeah. And the chick's face showed up. You know, speaking of images that have come out, did you see the uh the director of the the Netflix Castlevania series posted a sketch yeah. of Solid Snake and was like, Don't read into this. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, I'm gonna read the hell into that, man, because everybody wants that. Yeah, that that'd be great. I would love actually to see like little anime shorts told in that world that aren't like the retelling of the Metal Gear story, but are just like explorations of the world. Like I would love that. Yeah. What would you want to see explored? Just like you've got all these weird aspects of society now that like, okay, I'll give you an example. Um, Show me like how some other military groups operate with SOP where they can like feel each other's thoughts and feelings. Like show me how they would interact. Oh, you mean like an animatrix type anthology? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay. Where you just show me little bits of the world rather than just retelling Metal Gear Solid one or two or three or whatever. Just like show me pieces of the world, short little glimpses or like, you know, show me how people reacted to arsenal gear plowing into lower Manhattan. Dude, dude, take my money, right? Take it like, but, but they're not going to do that because people are so like, I want to see the cyborg ninja and I want to see it fight Rex because that's cool. These robots are cool. (laughs) Like it reminds me of, I was talking about this on Twitter, but like back on the old metal gear solid, the unofficial site forums, there was a dude who made a thread where he bragged about how Metal Gear Solid was such an inspiration to him that it convinced him to enlist (laughs) in the army. So did everybody start calling him Daryl? Everybody like, oh my God, like pages and pages and pages of debate with this one guy trying to convince him that this was an anti-war series and he just wasn't having it. Right. And like how that is like, oh, that's how I feel like most Metal Gear fans are. It's like that 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 you ever seen that one meme of like the Gundam shooting the the war is bad message over the guy's head who's looking at the Gundam and going, "Well, cool, cool robot." Like that's like every Metal Gear Solid fan. It's also I've seen the one with the cyberpunk where it shows like you know corporate dystopia and it's like oh right. augments exactly cool yeah robot and hands. so like. And so that's, I think, going to flavor much of the Metal Gear Solid movie because even if Jordan Vought Roberts is intimately aware of the intricacies and nuances of the series, in order to sell this as a blockbuster film, which he has to do as a responsible director, as a project manager, he has to cater to those people first. And that's why I don't, that's why I'm skeptical. I want a good Metal Gear movie. I want to give him the benefit of the doubt here. I'm just, it's been, what, uh, 20 years now? 
since yeah. 22 years since the Metal Gear Solid movie was first, you know, like mentioned as a possibility. And, and you know, only now are we getting what concept art. So right. I'm just I'm so skeptical of, of whether or not this is ever going to manifest. And if it will. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of right there with you. I don't want to be a cynic, but I am. I'm now that you mentioned that, though, I'm wondering, like, if he really does get the source material, and right now we don't have any indication that he really does get it. What we do have so far, we just know that he's a massive fanboy. So, but if he, hypothetically, if he really did get it, what if he could do just what Kojima did and give those fans what they want while at the same time, you know, delivering the true message, which is, you know, that's it's 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 an anti-war story, but you trick the the mainstream audience into thinking like, oh, it's pro-war. I that I, would be cool. Can maybe. I tell you why I don't think that's going to happen? Oh, yeah, um, please do. I feel like we okay. have the same reason, but I'm going to let you say it. Okay. the The reason I don't think that's going to happen is because of the writer, specifically. <laughs> the guy writing it is, uh, if I remember right, it's Derek Connolly who wrote Jurassic World, and Jurassic World tried to do something almost exactly like that with. Uh, a message about consumerism and and you know like oh we're we're gonna turn these things we're gonna take this thing that you remember and we're gonna turn it into a product and we're gonna slap all of our 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 labels and our brands on it and we're gonna dilute it and so it it tried to like it tried to Jurassic World tried to be a movie about that problem but it was also exactly that at the same time, but it wasn't smart enough to balance the two. It tried to have its cake and eat it too. And it just, it just ended up smashing its face into it instead. Right. And, and so I feel like, like if he's writing it, we're going to get the same thing. Um, Hmm. and I hate to like call out somebody specifically, but I have not liked anything he's written. (laughs) Yeah. For me, it's like, when was the last time you saw a movie with early concept art? Or when was the last time you saw early concept art for a movie that actually got made? I don't think that's, that usually doesn't happen. I'll tell you, the last time I saw a movie with concept art that didn't get made that broke my heart was uh, Neil Blomkamp's Alien sequel. Okay. I don't know if you've saw if you've seen that or not. I mean, I despise Neil Blomkamp. Um, he, you should go and look this up anyway, um, because it might... You know, I, I'm wondering if this is maybe the same case with 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 Jordan, where maybe this is just the movie that they were born to make, and and it'll come out well. I don't know. Maybe I I, I try to be an optimist, but the the idea that Blomkamp had with Alien was he wanted to erase um, Alien Three and and um, Alien Resurrection, and he wanted to do a direct sequel to Aliens that was uh, bringing back. Sigourney Weaver and bringing back Michael Bean and and it was like it was directly following that and there's all this really cool imagery of like where they bring the uh the engineers ship back to like a dry dock and they're exploring it and it's it's just really cool concept art it seemed like like a cool concept I you know it didn't get anywhere though because um you know really Scott decided to take the reins back and do Covenant but that poor guy oh well like he was he was hyping it up like crazy and then it right. just kind of got yanked out from under him. Yeah, but that's exactly what I mean. You know, like you you don't see early concept art for a movie and then actually have it get made. It's it's rare that that happens. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Like they wouldn't leak it if it was 
something still. It, I don't know. It does strike me very much like trying to to build enthusiasm rather than than riding a wave. Okay, okay Daisy, you, you're gonna have to explain this one. <laughs> <laughs> this is my favorite oh, Kojima tweet, everybody. It's a picture of him about to dig into this eggs Benedict, saying, "Eggs Benedict look like boobies when shaking plate." LOL. So uh, what does that make the asparagus? Oh no. <laughs> I don't know actually, but I really like eggs. And why Benedict. are there two of them? <laughs> His Twitter account is a gift. It's like when your friends when you're having a really shitty day and your friends are like, Hey, how's it going? But you don't want to like get into it. You're just like, I'm alright. I'm alright. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, beat Final Fantasy VII. Uh didn't like it. I'm sorry, man. Remake. Yeah. I mean you we told that, you uh, you weren't gonna like it. What you think of that ending? I know. I'm just like that. That's that's exactly where it got like just like ah. Uh, I'm just uh, I think Rocco said it best. It just it felt like a child explaining a dream. <laughs> it was just like, damn it, I didn't need this part because just like when it went in this, they were like, hey, we're about to go in this portal in the space of nothingness. I was just like, god damn it. <laughs> I like but, how the uh, the arbiter, the giant arbiter of fate, is basically the the creature you fight from Kingdom Hearts. Yeah, I was just gonna say that. Like, you, what do you yeah. mean? You let's go fight this boss that we've never seen before. Or, you know, represents anything we've seen throughout the game. Cool <laughs> mystery box. That's Final Fantasy. Is uh, God, I can't pronounce his name. Namora. Yeah. Tatsuya Namora. Yeah. Yeah. Is he? Uh, is he video games? Alex Kirksman. I don't know who that is. He's the guy who wrote Picard. No, I. Oh. I would give. I. I would put Namora uh, leagues above Alex Kurtzman. That's fair. And, Somebody's gonna like try to kill me for saying. And that. Nomura, um, I mean, he was not the only writer on this. I mean, you can definitely feel his influence, but this was this was done by the original writers, shy of uh, you know Sakaguchi. So, hmm. I don't know. Yeah, yeah Kurtz, Kurtzman is a Kurtzman's a whole other ball game. So you fight a giant heartless at the end of the game, and uh, and the giant the giant heartless represents. The fandom, all of it, all of the fandom, who is just like, oh, you can't change anything, and you got to keep everything the same because that's Final Fantasy VII. And so the whole point of the game is Aerith and the gang saying, hey, we need to change Final Fantasy VII. Come with me. You know, Aerith <laughs> seems to be kind of aware of what's going on. Right. From like, from like, Minute one, she knows what's up. And a lot of people yeah. are like saying like maybe she's on New Game Plus, so to speak. <laughs> yeah, no, she like, I've seen how this goes. This before. I don't like yeah. how it ends. I want my Sephiroth boyfriend too. back. Sephiroth too, I feel like he's he's in on it. Yeah. They're both kind of playing cards and everyone else is just sorta of, those are the right. two playing chess and everyone else are the pieces. That's why she's so laid back and humored because yeah. she knows she's like well aware she's gonna make it through, well she yeah, says that one line something. right before you beat sephiroth where she's like we can make it right like make what right what are you talking yeah. about and then you know five minutes later zach's alive mm, yeah yeah she's a you know, she's pulling some strings man just that the, the game just kind of like felt like a slog like i think i'm, I'm yeah I, I dm'd you at one point i was like man going through chapter 17 it's just uh Jesus. Was it 17 or 16? I, I don't that even remember. The battle system, though, man. The battle system was good. 
could have been better. I, I, I mean, everything has its flaws. Yeah, I, I, Materia. I mean, Materia was kind of the 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 issue because they tried to like keep it scaled down since this is obviously only a part, you know, a portion of a full game. Yeah, and there were some weapons where I was just like, yeah. no, I'm not using that. <laughs> right. Like, fuck out of here. Oh, and two materia slots? Like, why? Why? Oh, I have a high critical rate with a baseball bat? Okay. Yeah, the balancing. Like, uh, there's probably weird. some secret to that weapon, but I don't know. Like, you're simultaneously giving us far too much and far too little to use in this system because you know that there's... Yeah, I didn't use yeah. half of that shit. <laughs> I would so, like, still recommend the game. I, w- I would recommend the game if ghosts weren't in the game the way that they were implemented. How would you do it? Would you I just, would just, would you just strip would just them out and do a straight, you would just do a straight remake? I, I mean, I would, no, okay, that's a good question. Yeah, um, how would I fix it? Man, I wouldn't try and and add a bunch of filler, but I think they, they, they changed too much, but not enough at the same time. <laughs> uh, we talked about this, uh, Fingers, while you were, um, still working you were like halfway through the game and i mean i there there's potential there because it seems like like avalanche there are a bunch of kids you could have had some commentary about using child soldiers and barrett's this warlord maybe because they're wearing freaking costume pieces from golden saucer and they're going up against this this military like they got no business being eco-terrorists and you know, Jesse's cooking up bombs, but she's dressed like a friggin' like, you know, my first Romeo and Juliet play, is you know, really third grade recital the story, though. You know, is it, that, that's is that going out of scope? Yes. That's like the filler, the filler that they did, like they didn't need all these like new characters that they made up, you know, like they should have just built off of what was there and like made the made the side quest more based on the, the party it's, or some of the more, you know, people. it's. It's funny because I feel like Final Fantasy VII remaking this game is is a fool's errand. You know, it's exactly. well that that was the point of the story. It's like no matter what we do, you guys are going to be mad. So here's what we're gonna gonna do: is piss you off with a heartless battle because that's what you want. <laughs> you want more Kingdom Hearts, right? So here, it's, just take I the Kingdom Hearts. It feels like they decided, you know, this is not going to work perfectly no matter which direction we go. So let's at least seem kind of clever about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah that's probably true i mean that's like i appreciate the attempt at it it just i'm saying like the whole game like for the most part going through it running through all the maps and stuff just kind of felt like a slog to me and like i, I beat it in just under 40 hours i was at like 39 57 but that felt like 60 or 80 like you took know, your sweet precious really time right? yeah yeah i did all the side quests and everything like that's you know i, I mean, did everything i enjoyed but. it but I mean, I was never going to be super invested in the FF7 remake because I'm I'm sitting here waiting for the FF8 remake, so I don't know about the rest of them. Mm. Yeah. That's never going to happen. I'll be here until I'm like 80. Could happen, though. Yeah, it won't. It won't. I mean, Not enough people like 8. I don't know. I feel like the the nostalgia factor for that because it you know it came out september 9th 99 the same day as the dreamcast you know there's history there yeah but not like seven i mean oh truly yeah seven is on a whole nother level and, and well it's hard to explain yeah. why that game resonated so strongly and just i don't know yeah eight was my first final fantasy the first one i played but um but seven was the the first one I like really got into. Um, so 
Actually, no, that that's not true. I actually I rented ten from Blockbuster back in the day, and then I went back to play seven years later. Oh, I bet so, that was that was jarring. <laughs> surprisingly, no. I took I took to FF seven. Seven was the first Final Fantasy I actually beat. I didn't beat ten until ten years after I beat. Seven. It's weird, right? I, my, my timeline with Final Fantasy is worse than Metal Gear. It's nuts. But, um, yeah, it, okay. Well, FF8, I feel like they could remake it if they, if they really wanted to, but first they gotta finish the next, we don't know how many parts this FF7 remake is gonna be. At least three. I doubt they, I doubt they'll be able to finish everything they need to do in, in another, just one more part, so. Are they going to go meta if they do an FF8 remake? Like like they did with FF7? Yeah. I mean, they, uh, they've set a precedent now, you know? Hopefully they learn their lesson from this game, and they don't do that. I feel like they if, if they did a straight remake for 8, they'd... Uh, I don't know. It's like sawing the branch off that you're sitting on. Yeah. Actually, I, I think know. you're right. I don't think they will make remake any other... Final Fantasy game besides seven because eight doesn't have like Advent Children and and all the other games as part of the FF seven saga. So yeah, I mean they've they've said like oh we'd love to make remake other ones. But, uh, yeah, no, yeah, you're not gonna. You've said that before. Get seven, another remaster. There was yeah, it's um I'm I'm interested to watch the rest of this because I just started watching uh Tim Rogers just dropped his uh review for the seven remake and it's, I think it's like three and a half hours long. So I'm, I'm interested to see where he kind of goes with that. He's going to talk about Aerith. Pretty much bunch. just felt like the, the best parts of it were when they were like sticking to the script and like nailing what was like cool about final fantasy seven, like the, the cut scenes when, you know, the motorcycle in the second half, you know, when he came in and was, when he wiped out all the troops and shit, like that was dope. See, but I, hit, the, I destru- the destruction of the plate, I thought that I know you don't like the twin snake flying yeah. of it, but like I thought that I thought like seeing that in like a in a modern action scene, I was like, cool, they could just make a movie of all this type shit, and that's that's kind of what I was like. If y'all want to do this, because it just felt like Advent Children to me. That's like the the whole thing just felt like. Advent you know what's Children. funny is if you go and watch Advent Children now, it looks a hundred times worse than the remake. Oh, I bet that's like we've, still we've, think we've now up. gotten to a place where the graphics in game look better than advent children the movie i had a ton of problems with the graphics in seven like look at any door the textures are like from the ps1 era i it's didn't like have the, texture just issues fail, they but just maybe failed i just wasn't paying in. attention it's not texture loading at all it's like if you look at the doors in uh in Aerith's house they're just the, the doors are just shitty uh <laughs> same with the same with your apartment that is like has no reason to be in the game. Yeah, that door was always screwed up. Why do I even need an apartment? Can I just like like what the hell? I don't I don't need this old lady with the her weird samurai hairstyle and 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 who the hell is this dude? I it was the game's weird, all right? So but yeah, I don't think they I think they changed a lot, but they didn't change enough cuz like um like you mentioned and I and I I saw it uh, like Nitroid you were saying like it's a the original FF7 was like a it was a goofy game with serious moments and this is the opposite of that you know if they were really trying to make a more serious game and bring it into the into the 21st century then like you, there are a lot of changes that need to be made 
that, you know, to make sense of this universe. And one of those, in my opinion, like the main thing that, that kept me from being fully immersed in this world is the fact that Avalanche is a bunch of bumbling kids parading as eco-terrorists. But I still don't think they'll be. And the fact that they're like they introduce and there's a, a separate faction of Avalanche who's way more militaristic. That that was so weird to me. Yeah, that was kind of strange. Like, oh, I didn't know this was a thing. I thought it was literally just like four people. Yeah. I mean, it was. And now it's not. So. Yeah, that guy is like, I'm your inside person. Like, what the fuck? And are, is that going to factor into the next couple parts of the remake? Like, uh, what, what do you mean? Okay. Um, I will. I got I got one question for you guys, because we're coming up on two hours here. We're probably going to have to cut it. Um, yeah. But. Here's my question for you regarding part two of this game. Given how much swearing they've they've written into this script, is Sid going to drop an F-bomb? Mm. You goddamn he can, right. He can drop one, and it, it could still be rated T for teen. Well, at least that's how it works in movies. <laughs> but do you think he will? Nah. I think they'll just... Uh, here's what I think will happen. Uh, Ket Sith will, will come in, and he'll censor him. <laughs> he'll just honk his horn? Yeah. <laughs> that's what i think will happen or, or, or no, megaphone it's a megaphone isn't it yeah megaphone or red uh, 13 will growl or he'll do an ocelot so you think there will be comical <laughs> censoring of every time he tries to get a, a curse out i think so i think because that would actually be in line with the tone of the original game because you know the, the way that they wrote it yeah, with the going for that with the <laughs> like the symbols cloud was cussing a whole bunch of it yeah but he, he didn't drop somebody, an f-bomb nobody called somebody bitch at the end yeah. <laughs> yeah, but he didn't drop an F an, an F bomb, and that's yeah. It's about four or five bitches. The most in the effective game. moment of swearing in in the game was when uh, Aerith the ladder dropped out from. Oh under. right, yeah, she's yeah. like shit. <laughs> no, so good. Yeah, I like that. Oh, real quick, do you want to talk about the uh, the cross dressing scene? Oh my god, they they really went hard on that, didn't they? I didn't. I, I swear, I thought they were going to take it out. I was like, there's no way, no way they're going to do it. Oh, they did it. Yep, nailed it. Thank you. I probably <laughs> laughed for like 10 minutes at that line. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was a good line. There there are just moments like that in the game that are that are just pitch perfect. And then you got to sneak into Jesse's house and take a key card out of her yeah. dad's suit. Like, I don't give a shit. Yeah, and 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 they're all dead now anyway, I guess. I mean, all right, spoilers, right? Ooh. If you haven't played the game, why were you, why would you even play the remake if you haven't played the original? And that's the whole deal is that they made they made um, the yeah. game yeah. for people that played the original, but they made it as if we hadn't all seen this before. Like we didn't think Jesse was going to die. Like, oh, you're trying to pull up my heartstrings and make me care about this person that I don't care about? Well, not going to happen. Well, a lot of people were going to play this as their first time through. Yeah, uh, that's that's a huge mistake. Those poor people. Yep. Yeah, but uh, you know the character models look okay, except for Cloud's weird arms. I don't know why they've been that way, but uh, <laughs> other than that, I think the graphics are phenomenal. And I liked playing the game, and just seeing my memories rendered in immaculate high resolution. That was pretty much like yeah, the enjoyment I got. It. I was like, all right, cool. This looks nice. Yeah. But hopefully they fix it and do some adjustments in part two and. Take out some of this bullshit filler yeah. stuff. Either get rid of the doors or or fix them because your doors are jacked. They, the doors can stay, but the but the <laughs> the leaning 
up against a wall and squeaking through tight corridors has got to go. Yeah. Good luck. So many slow movements like that yeah. going through. Yeah. Maybe on PS5 we won't have to worry about loading and shit. And we'll just no loading times and no uh, corridors. God. No, uh, you know you reminded me of that Unreal Engine 5 demo where they actually it's a it's a pre-canned demo, but yeah. they have you. They still, still had, had it. it. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> they're like we're we're just showing off what we got that load. looks like. On well, PS5. they're doing it because it's a stylistic choice now, not because it's a pragmatic one. BS. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs>